Hey gearheads and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host Corey and on this week's episode, I'm very excited because this week's guest in Alexandra Cini is absolutely like the intersection of everything that I do and I want to do and that is travel and cars or cars and travel as the case may be. But she is an accomplished writer, lifestyle influencer. I, I, I don't exactly want to paint her that way. I, I, I hate the term influencer, but she is absolutely uh, deeply ingrained in both cars and travel. She is the editor for Elite Traveler, and that allows her access to awesome de- destinations and awesome vehicles. And She will explain it a whole lot better than I do. So without further ado, we welcome on Alexandra Cini. So grateful to have Alexandra Cini with me today to talk about a little bit of automotive, maybe a little bit of travel, maybe a little bit of everything. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm excited because what you do, and and we'll get into that in a second, kind of intersects what I do and what my wife does. So my wife is in the travel and tourism industry. Uh, She's in marketing. I'm in automotive and essentially in marketing. So I'll roll all that into what exactly is it that you do? Uh, That's excellent. Uh, Funnily enough, it's a lot of what you just outlined, you and your wife Mm -hmm. does, uh, is quite similar to what I do, just in terms of I call myself a travel writer and a culture reporter. So think of like a big Costco beach umbrella. That's, you know, travel editorial. So that's looking at lifestyle, fitness, wellness, adventure, auto, watches, design, and covering it from an editorial standpoint. And then I also do some media training and some brand consulting, but that's all kind of word of mouth by referral. And that's kind of my trifecta of how I run my life. And given that wide Costco umbrella, that's how yes. automotive fits into that whole puzzle as well, correct? It, it's oh, just yeah. one of those many, many things under that umbrella. Yeah, it's, it's the parasol under the umbrella, if you will. Uh, yes. And to me, I cover almost exclusively you know, luxury vehicles. So what that means is I'm really looking at that audience and speaking to those consumers or the or those aspirational consumers who are also traveling, who are also likely into a variety of other things that I cover, whether it's, you know, home and design or watches, uh, all of those things to me intersect in various degrees and places. Going back to that lifestyle aspect of it all. Correct. So what brands, I mean, it's cart podcast. I, I got to dive into it. What, yes, let's what, go. What brands are, are you heavily involved with in the automotive space? And what does that look like for you? So within the automotive space, my primary place that I write is Elite Traveler, and I'm their motoring pages editor. And I've been that for more than a handful of years at this point. So I'm working with, you know, Audi, Bentley, Aston Martin, 
uh, Jaguar, Land Rover, Rolls Royce, uh, Rivian, you know, think $80,000 and up, let's go. Uh, You know, Lamborghini, Maserati, let's not forget the Italians, Ferrari, uh, (laughs) all, all of the ones that are are in their swan song years of natural aspiration how's that yeah it's funny that you bring that up because we are in a very interesting place in the automotive industry and you've got brands even going back to the italians like alfa romeo i was just at a press Mm -hmm. event with their u.s um president leader uh, mentioning how the brand is in process of promoting their last gasoline-powered new vehicle, and that's the Tonali. And to think, they've got 112 years of history, heritage, racing, all that good stuff is baked into their DNA, and and it's that typical Italian um, beautiful design, and et cetera, et cetera. But here they are promoting their last brand-new gas-powered anything. It's Mm -hmm. a very interesting direction that we're going, uh, and especially in that premium space. So it'll be really interesting to see how some of these other players who have kind of been mum on on what they're doing, uh, what their future plans are, how they navigate this world where everyone else has said, yeah, well, we're going electric. Without question. And and it's actually quite funny. I was at a Bentley dinner, I want to say a couple weeks ago. And, you know, there are, there are those car guys who get into the, like, absolute weeds of talking about what's going on in the automotive space, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I was at more of a lifestyle-focused dinner. It was actually really cool. Bentley was talking about their name audio, which if you haven't been in a Bentley and turned it up to 11, you are missing out. <laughs> like, really, really do that. They do a great job. Um Honestly, as does Mercedes with their with their 4D sound. Yes. Anytime there's a speaker in a seat, I'm I'm in. Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> but we're getting away from the point. I was sitting next to VG Matthews, uh, who is obviously the head of of Rob Report Automotive Coverage. He's a good friend of mine, and we were around a bunch of other folks who weren't necessarily as into the day to day car of it all as we are and it was quite funny because we are normally categorized as like the lifestyle folks you know so when we're on on car trips we're like oh yeah they're you know they're the lifestyle you know we're not the buff books we're not we're not the like everyday living and breathing it and it was so funny because we were having a conversation about the notion of not only naturally aspirated Uh, vehicles, but the idea of, you know, turbochargers and superchargers and the difference between that and having, you know, a motor for every wheel and Mm -hmm. what electric meant and why this is so exciting because at the end of the day, and actually this was the focus of my story uh, for the fall issue of Elite Traveler, this is the first time in our lifetime, in my opinion, where car brands aren't chasing superlatives they're in the mud and they're messing up and they're creating cars that don't necessarily make a lot of sense unless you look at it in a linear way. It's like there are absolutely moments where you're going to see a car and be like, why, you know, in 20 years, why did a car brand make this car like this? (laughs) 
And it's like, well, it's the evolution of mm-hmm. going from, you know, superchargers and turbochargers and naturally aspirated and, and transitioning into plug-in hybrids or fully electric or hybrids. And, and you're watching this like really cool experimentation happen where it's not the fastest and the best and the most. It's kind of like, how do we do this? And it's, I, the, the image I have in my head is, is almost like the East coast taffy, how you like pull it apart and put it together and pull it apart. And it's like, that's what's going on right now. And to me and Viju and I were geeking out on this a little bit. That's really exciting. Like it's weird, but it's really exciting because you're thinking about developing a vehicle in a completely different way. Yep. So it's interesting that you bring that up because this vehicle may fall out of the scope of the realm in which you live, but Mazda has a vehicle for sale in the U.S. right now that definitely fits that what, why kind of question. Like you look at it and you go, huh? And I recently had the luxury, the blessing of getting to test one, and that's their MX-30 little electric crossover. Um, It is sold exclusively in California for EV purposes. It is their first electrified anything, so hybrid or electric anything. It is 100% electric with 100 miles of range on a full charge and cost $33,000, which taking all of the 100 miles of range out of it, it, it was actually a rather fun, quirky, fun, cool little car. But going back to your point, it's just like, but why exactly? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I get my cars out of Dallas, Texas, which is, and I know this from experience now, 93 miles away. And in order to get <laughs> that vehicle, I had to agree to go pick it up instead of having okay. it delivered, which yep. took a lot of planning on my part because yep. 100 miles of range, 93 mile trip, 104 degree Texas summer heat made for a fun we'll say a fun experience. And then I had to drop it back off. So, right. But yeah, we are definitely in that era of transition. I I remember Mm -hmm. like it was big news when Ferrari announced that they were not going to make naturally aspirated V8s anymore. Like, right. That was huge. And now we're flirting and all out married to this idea of, well, you know, gasoline's going away, so get used to it. And it's like, uh, there are some brands that they're, that's their DNA. Oh, that's tricky. I don't know if, if I fully agree with that. I mean, Ferrari, I drove the 296 GTB. I drove it on the roads of Sevilla in Spain, and then I drove it on a circuit, on the circuit, um, Monte Blanco, also in just outside of Sevilla. And granted, that is not a $30,000 Mazda. Uh, (laughs) But they're making a statement. And it absolutely felt like a Ferrari. And it handled like a Ferrari. And to be able to push engineers. Every year at, at Monterey Car Week at Pebble Beach, which is obviously coming up, I interview Jay Leno. 
And every year he says versions of the same thing, but in completely different ways. He <laughs> believes engineers are going to save the world. And in a lot of ways right now, I believe engineers are going to completely reconstruct the car industry as we know it. And to me, that's really exciting. I don't think gas is going away anytime soon. I think it we're in a, in a transition phase. And as that trickles down from a super premium automaker like a, you know, Ferrari, McLaren, Bentley, any of those folks down to Ford, you know, with their lightning down to Mazda, that's huge to, to go from kind of those peak, um, selected consumers to mass market. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm super excited. I haven't been in one yet, but but one's coming my way. I'm really pumped to get into a Ford Maverick. Yeah. Like, yes, cool <laughs> to be able to appeal to to that market for, you know, a starting price of $20,000. It's not something that I outright cover. Right. But it absolutely influences the market. And I think it absolutely gives brands a way to look at each other where we're really good at putting things in boxes as humans, right? Mm -hmm. That's how our brain works. This has to go in this box. This has to go in this box. That's it. So you have your premium automakers and that's it. And you have your mass market automakers and that's it. And you've got a couple of people who play, you know, a couple of brands that play right. in the middle space, right? But for a brand like, you know, McLaren that I adore or Aston Martin that I have a great relationship with to, to have them even have the Fords of the world on their radar and to be saying, huh, let's, you know, let's take a look at this or, Hey, they have, you know, this amount of market sway. I mean, Toyota, they were the OG, right? With the mm -hmm. Prius. Uh, that's really interesting to me to see how everyone is working together. And then of course you've got the VW groups of the world where you've got a parent company, let's go back to the Costco beach umbrella, right? Where Bentley is going into the pantry of VW right. and then there's the Porsche of it all, but then there's also the Mate Rimac of it all. So I just don't think we've ever been in a time where mass market and premium are I'm not going to say working together because I don't necessarily think that's the correct way to categorize it, but they're kind of, you know, peeking over their shoulder and saying, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Engineers, we should maybe, should maybe take a look at this thing that we've never thought about taking a look at before. And that's once again, exciting. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. We'll take Dodge, for example. So their current, mo in the market they have three vehicles all of them you can get a hellcat powered engine under the hood they make a lot of noise and they're pretty much they hired somebody that's the chief donut maker talking about just <laughs> making insane power putting it down and having fun this is who they are and they're trying to figure out okay what does an electrified Dodge look like. So what you were talking about with Ferrari, what does an electrified Ferrari look like? How how do we make something that is quintessentially us? It is our brand. You get in it, you know it, you feel it, but we're taking out a, a key element in that gas-powered engine. And yes, uh, using that diversity of portfolio, it is quite interesting to see 
you know, who, who's, who's borrowing from who, who's learning from who, and just kind of, again, that, that weird transition period that we are all in right now. Well, I look at it as an evolution. I don't look at it as you're gaining or losing anything. When seatbelts came around, it was like, oh my God, how are we going to change the seats to make sure the seatbelts obviously work, but also don't change the interior of the car. Think about, you know, old kind of Cadillac bench seats, if you will. Introduction of airbags, same thing. That changed, you know, the way a steering wheel looked. That changed the way you know, if, if you were sitting in the front seat and you looked across the, the full dashboard, it changed the shape, right? Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you keep the integrity of the interior of the car whilst introducing these new and soon to be mandatory advancements? To me, this is just another technological advancement. So it's, yes, how do you introduce it? But you pump up the other things you know, the other characteristics, the other DNA, like Ferrari, let's go to the 296 GTB, right? The DNA, if you were to park it, even next to an old school California, right? If you were to park it next to, oh, what do they have in their portfolio right now? Uh, you know, F8 Spider. I don't think you go, oh, that's the electric one. Like the the architecture is the same. A lot of the through lines are the same. The inspiration, Ferraris, they're masters at this, right? Looking back into their DNA, looking back into their heritage and saying, okay, we're going to take this through line, you know, this ridge line, um, this grill from the 60s, and we're going to reinterpret it, right? They did that with the Roma. We're going to reinterpret that and and modernize it for today. So I think it's not, oh no, we're going electric, we're gonna lose who we are. I think it's, okay, what, if it's an abacus, you know, what are we kind of pushing up and pumping up here? And what are we kind of subtracting and, and changing down here? And playing with that, which to me is really fun. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it earlier, the avenues in which it opens, where you can have a separate, essentially, powertrain for each individual wheel, and mm -hmm. the, the physics that you can bend <laughs> with that kind of engineering that we haven't really gotten to sample up until this current environment that we're in, where... You know, we're always trying to, you know, torque vectoring and limited slip differentials and all this stuff almost just takes an exponential leap up because you're not trying to get one power source out to four wheels. You can do whatever you need given the situation. And hats off to the engineers that can truly capitalize on that the best uh, throughout the process. Mm -hmm. Well, all-wheel steering, right? That's a great example of what you're going to be able to do. So you have different a different way than before mm -hmm. to get into that. And, I mean, that for, for city driving, I'm based in Los Angeles. That changes the game. You know, I was just in the new Range Rover. And it's like, ooh, you, you can turn like that? Hello. <laughs> okay. Yeah, one, this is exciting. One thing that 
I, I've tried weaving into several of my car reviews lately is how well in real world scenarios, because we can all read the spec sheet and see the turning radius and all that. Mm -hmm. But in real life, what does this car turn like? Can't right. if if you miss your turn, how how big of a U-turn are you going to have to make? How mm -hmm. how narrow of a road can you turn around on? And so, yes, I, I've sampled a few vehicles with rear steering. And it's, again, just those small things that add up to a big and noticeable difference for the consumer. It's like, wow, okay. So here's something that shouldn't do what it is doing. Oh, for example, I drove a $420,000 Rolls-Royce Cullinan off-road, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. <laughs> when I first got in behind the wheel, I, I was with a product specialist and she's like, well, do you want to take the off-road course? And I was like, ah, let's go on-road first. One, I'm in the first ever rolls I've ever been in. I, I want to see, you know, how this thing goes down the road. And two, it costs twice as much as my house. And I know what I've been <laughs> doing off road in the TRX. I, I'm not quite sure if, but uh, yes, just uh, the advancements that those technological and engineering feats mm -hmm. add to the end product is uh, mm -hmm. quite impressive. Well, and complete side note, you know, shout out to Rolls because when the SUV of it all, right, mm -hmm. came about when, oh man, who launched their SUVs? Lambo launched their SUV, you know, the, the super high, right. intense, fast, uh, to me, it's like a super sport SUV, right? right? Aston Martin, uh, Rolls Royce, which they called it a high-sided vehicle, which gets me every time. I actually joke with them. I'm like, guys, really? They got to do it in their own unique way. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I love it because it's so right. We were talking earlier about brand DNA. That is Rolls-Royce to a T, right? But deep appreciation. When I was on the launch, uh, it was in Jackson Hole. We went up a mountain. And truly, the the guys that I were that I was with in the vehicle looked at me and they were like, "Go break it." And it was just like, "Okay, you know, because that brand ethos is such the absolute pinnacle of luxury that to take the notion of the absolute pinnacle of luxury and make an absolute pinnacle of luxury off road vehicle." Mm -hmm. You have to be able to stand behind it. And we got those cars dirty and we rock crawled and we i thought for a second i was on a jaguar land rover program not a rolls royce program because they went for it yep. and to me that is an amazing evolution of you have your architecture of luxury you have so many like perfection bells and whistles but then to take that into the suv marketplace and have that vehicle hold up that was a really great evolution, right? Mm -hmm. So to then take that and say, okay, how are we going to re-engineer the guts and make something that's a plug-in, that's electric? What is that next step? How do we keep pushing? I think in a way brands have prepared for this in a lot of ways they don't even realize. Right. So that transition is like, okay, you just... I think it's in some ways a tougher sell to to folks like us right. than it is to consumers. 
because it's like, okay, this is the next thing we came out with and this is our brand. Trust us. This is our next move. When you live and breathe it every day, you you get very particular about what, what it means to you and what, what you feel like it is. (laughs) But uh, I've brought my wife into car reviews and, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I'll do one video where it's just me, you know, the gearhead lifelong. I'm like, this is what I think of this car, blah, 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 blah. And then later in the week, I'll drop a video where she reviews it and I'm with her and she comes at it in a completely different way. She is the average consumer and all the things that guys like me say, we'll take the Supra for example it's not a Supra because BMW made it and yada 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 but when I drove that car home she came and stole it almost immediately she didn't care who made it she it looked good it sounded good it performed well it checked all the boxes for what a sports car should be and again going into branding and marketing there are some things that you have to hold as a brand standard, but outside of that, you know, th- there's more wiggle room than guys like me, uh, I would say, allow. Well, that's the enthusiast, right? That's the burden of being an enthusiast. Right. And I think that comes down to, I don't think that's car specific at all. No, I, I come not. across that constantly in timepieces, for example, uh, where it's like, okay, but you know, this crown or this case, and this doesn't quite, and it's like, okay, but how does it look? How does it feel on the wrist? Obviously it keeps time. Uh, and, and that's our job in a lot of ways. Right. But it's really fantastic when you can take a step back and kind of say, huh, where and how does it matter when it does matter? And when is it just us picking things apart because that's our job? Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, bringing it to a very macular uh, view. <laughs> uh, I am not a comic book nerd by any means, but to go okay. online with every Marvel movie that comes out and to see all the vitriol of, oh, they didn't hold true <laughs> to the character or this or that. And I, I come out of the theater and I'm like, oh, that was really good. Or that wasn't really good. Yes, it, it is absolutely that enthusiast passion, uh, that bent that we bring and bias that we bring to the table that sometimes we just need to check out the door, right? Without question. However, I would say in this moment, the, the thing, the topic, the conversations that I find myself having around sustainability and vehicles to me is new and exciting and is something that I find is leveling the playing field in terms of not only brand where you fall, as we spoke earlier in that spectrum of, you know, premium, super luxury to mass market, but also from enthusiast to, you know, your wife to average consumer, because the conversation that I find is again across the board is how do we redefine luxury Mm -hmm. and what is that because i think there's an enormous push both from within the industry and from outside of the industry to talk about 
sustainability, to talk about life cycle, to talk about, okay, well, we're creating all of these batteries. What happens when they die? Because we can't just throw them in a landfill and we shouldn't just throw them in a landfill. And to me, that conversation is the most, look at me using superlatives, (laughs) the most interesting crossing Mm -hmm. of lifestyle and engineering that I've seen in the car world in, I can't even tell you how long, that intersection of, but wait, this is lifestyle, this matters to everyone because it it matters what it feels like, how it works, what it feels like when you touch it, but what it's made of, how it's made, what happens when I get rid of the car is so much also like the car nerd. And let me be clear, I love nerds. They're (laughs) truly one of my favorite groups of people because it's your peak passion, right? right? I love it when you're crazy passionate about something. I want to talk to you. However, an aside, that intersection right now is the most interesting conversation happening in the car world for me. So you've kind of cut me off guard. I don't remember the name or the channel, but I do remember seeing an <laughs> MSNBC YouTube uh, video highlighting a former Tesla executive that left and mm-hmm. started basically a battery recycling facility with obvious emphasis on electric vehicle batteries and just the amount of raw material they're able to re-extract and reuse. It's not a hundred percent, but they're getting better and better with, uh, as battery tech gets better and as their knowledge of it all gets better. And that is an interesting story to follow over time as well to see this new aftermarket segment grow is, you know, basically when a current vehicle is out of life, decommissioned, it goes to scrapyard, uh, it'll Mm -hmm. get crunched, it'll become just a block somewhere Mm -hmm. sitting on a shelf. Whereas now, to your point, we're we're tearing them apart, we're reusing what we can. And Mm -hmm. it, it is an interesting again, evolution of where we are in the industry. Well, so the guy that you're speaking of is J.B. Straubel, and he created Redwood Materials. That's the company that you're speaking of, the Tesla co-founder. The cool thing to me, and I actually just did a story on this, it ran in the summer issue of Elite Traveler, is the notion of like Jaguar Land Rover has a partnership. Audi uh, has an entire division that is dealing with battery recycling. Polestar, great company, right? Um, Volvo's kind of sort of not related, but we're kind of sort of related, but we're not. Um, It's like Jeep and Wagoneer. Yeah, sister, cousin. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I mean, they are leading the pack. Every single person, I I talked to the head of sustainability there. Her her name's Frederica. Uh, every single person there is considered a part of the sustainability team. And to me, that's really exciting because automotive for a while was an incredibly wasteful, like I said, we were, you know, they were chasing superlatives for so long that there wasn't a cost, you know, what was the ROI on that when it came to actual longevity. Mm -hmm. And now 
that's a very different conversation, which to me is quite exciting. But the brands that are doing this are more in the yes, we're doing this than the no, we're not doing this. And that signals a tidal change to me that is once again, really, really exciting in the midst of some of these, you know, vehicles coming out where people are saying, oh, but it's not the best or the fastest or the coolest or whatever. It's like, no, but there's all of this other stuff. And I use that word very purposefully. That's happening. That's Mm -hmm. way more interesting to me than, oh, it's the fastest. So before we get into the last segment, I I do want to talk a little bit more about how travel and automotive coincide in what you do because you dropped uh, driving Ferraris around Italy. What are some (laughs) of... Oh, sorry, Spain. Spain. Uh, what are some of the most, and we will definitely get into this with the questions later on, interesting sure. vehicle travel combinations that you've... Oh, I recently, this is actually a really good one. I recently drove a 1965 E-Type from the factory uh, in England to Geneva to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the E-Type. That was pretty wild. Uh, You know, driving through Switzerland and the Godard Pass and and a a vintage car is really fascinating. Uh, Double clutching is really takes a certain... uh, Rewiring of your brain? Sure, let's go with that. Uh, but I did that, and it's it's very wonderful to be able to experience different ways of seeing the world, right? So when you're in a car and you're driving, it's a very different way of seeing the world than when you're on a train, when you're on an airplane. Obviously, there's a little bit of no duh there, but the manner in which how you're interacting with the landscape and then also with other people, right? It's like, I would always try, especially when we were in England, to find like the smallest village to stop at the smallest pub. Because especially, you know, in the, I don't even know if it's post-COVID at this point, but let's call it in the post-COVID era, that reconnection with people mm-hmm. is everything, right? It's from a car collector standpoint, from a human standpoint, from an explorer standpoint, from a wanderlust standpoint, traveling cars for me in that regard go together. I mean, you pull up in a 1965 E-Type, people are going to come out. They're going to want to talk to you about the car. They're going to ooh and ah at the car. And some of that is fun, but some of that is also real connection, right? Some of that is finding a way to connect with someone that you have probably surface level no similarities with mm-hmm. but you're you instantly can start talking about something Come and i drink. think as a as a world and as a one human to another human we've missed that uh especially when you get into the like super small towns or the super rural places and they're just like who are you <laughs> what are you driving? What are you doing here? What? Uh, But there's a, there's a beautiful charm to that and, and a humanity to that, that for me as a travel writer was missing hugely Mm -hmm. 
in the midst of the pandemic. So that was, when did, when did I do that? Um, I did that in June, in May, June. Uh, and I take my mom on a trip with me every year. Okay. And she came with me on that one. So it was, it was quite funny to experience the world in that way. Um, that's one. I would say another one was everyone brands go to Lapland to do their ice testing, right? Yeah. To do their winter testing. And for me as a travel writer, the really cool pieces are, and I didn't know this, they actually thicken the ice on the lake. So they'll drill holes into the lake to thicken the ice to test the car on the ice, which I know now, but I didn't know then. But there's this one hotel and it's kind of a open secret amongst brands because you go there and all of the cars are covered in you know, whatever hidden design um, camouflage wraps and camouflage and all of that. But the parking lot is filled with them. (laughs) So there's, there's a Jaguar here and a BMW over there and a McLaren over there. And, and all of these engineers are like hanging out in the sauna together, trying to unwind and warm up after a freezing cold day. But to to tap into that and to show up and to just be like, oh, okay. Like, this is the parking lot of uh, the next five years right. of automotive is in this parking lot. But the engineers are in there talking about, like, northern lights and dog sledding. Yeah. And how cool is that? That was another trip that I did uh, two years ago. Wow. I've been fortunate enough to do a couple of ice driving. One I did one with McLaren and one with Jaguar. And anytime you're on the ice, it's a good time. So, but same type of thing. It's it's that mm-hmm. humanity. It's that coming together. And I mean, I remember going out to a local bar, and the locals at that point are like perfectly accustomed right. to McLarens sliding around their town, and it's like <laughs> it ain't no thing. Um, But again, it comes back to the humanity of it. And for me, that's travel and cars is just a way to tap into having a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you, that didn't grow up like you, that maybe doesn't have an immediate way of um, connecting until you literally roll up. Very interesting. Well, I I could keep talking travel forever (laughs) because that is something I have not done nearly enough in my life. Uh, for one of our anniversaries, I got my wife a scratch-off calendar, uh, or mm-hmm. calendar uh, map of map. the world, and I was looking at it just the other day, especially, you know, the past two years and what they've done to the world. I was like, yeah, we need to travel more. There, There's <laughs> way too much unscratched off on this map that uh, we need to do, and it is her mission to go, I'm going to say six, not seven, but to all the continents because uh, mm-hmm. Antarctica is kind of a special exception. And she's definitely got me beat. She's been to China. She's been to Africa. Uh, so she's got Asia and Africa off the list already. I've been to neither. But just to get to, like you said, experience the world, the culture, the people, make those connections. It's quite awesome. But time, well, okay. to be fair, 
there's 54 countries in Africa. Right. So right. I'm sure there's, there's more to go to back. Do. Yes, there's absolutely more to go back. And I, I do believe she's only been on the one trip. So there's absolutely more to go back and see. Uh, but it's lower on her priority list because, well, I've already sure. done that. I've already did. So, yes. But uh, to close out, uh, yes. we have a segment called Random Misfire where I will ask you eight uh, kind of probing questions to learn a little bit more about you, going a little bit deeper into what I've learned about you thus far throughout the episode. And they're not meant to be gotcha or anything, but just <laughs> just to peel back a little more uh, of the layers of what makes you you. And the first question I ask of everyone sure. uh, is, do you name your vehicles? Without question. Okay. See, I, I've, I appreciate how quickly you answered that in the affirmative, because not only did you get it right, which I joke that there are no wrong answers, but that one. Uh, but what, what are some interesting vehicle names that you've had in your past? This is the first time I've ever been asked this question, and it brings me so much joy. Uh, so I currently have a white Lexus CT200H. Okay. I abhor white cars. I just think, and if you talk to the designers I've spoken to, white is the worst. It It's kind of like, you know, wearing horizontal stripes. It's, <laughs> it just, more often than not, you don't look great. Mm. Um so my current vehicle is Othello because Othello, you know, it was a Greek tragedy. Um, and because my car is white, I consider it a tragedy. <laughs> so uh, Othello is my current vehicle. Um, I had a Toyota Tacoma long bed and that was Longfellow. Okay. I really like uh, your naming strategy. It's yeah. Good. Yep. So um, let me think of the other ones. Some of the other ones. I had a Volvo Cross Country when I was in college, and that was Mel, uh, which was short for Mellow, because at no point did that car ever not have it handled. <laughs> it's like you were in the snowdrift, you pressed the little W button, and it was like, what snow? Yeah. What? I don't need to be dug out. I got this. I, I'm chill. Why are you freaking out? I'm great. Uh so those are those are a couple. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, you, your strategy is a little bit better than mine. I tend to go with celebrities, and it's you know, <laughs> teach their own. So, what's your current vehicle and your current vehicle name? So vehicle's name. Uh, I I'm in an interesting point because my wife and I have yet to name her vehicle. We bought it mm. together after getting married, and it's a 2014 Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk. And the biggest problem there is that we can't agree on anything. Mm. <laughs> Again, my strategy has always kind of been celebrities. And prior to her, I was single male, <laughs> you can imagine. And so that strategy doesn't necessarily coincide with I have a wife now and a family. And so can't quite nail anything down there. And my my current car is kind of a joke because uh, I've even pulled up to do car reviews and like I've had a general manager of a local dealership be like 
Now, you're, you mean to tell me that you are a car guy and you drive the most vanilla car in the entire world? I'm like, ah, it's got a six-speed manual, which it's a 2013 Chevy Cruze Eco uh, with a manual transmission. Everybody's like, I didn't even know they that's a head. Yeah, that's a head scratcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Props to you. They had to go find that one for me because... Uh, Prior to that, I had a uh, 2012 Camaro SS, 45th anniversary, six-speed manual. And I said, if I'm going to go from this fun car to a vanilla car, there's got to be something redeeming yeah. about it. Yeah. So they went, yeah. they found that one for me. But I've had, let's see, Angelina. I've had Scarlet. Uh, my truck, I had a Silverado. I, I, I just... I live in Texas. I had to go country. So Sarah Joe, no celebrity there. But All right. Had to be right. two names, had to be kind of country sounding. So that that's my strategy. All right. Uh, let's see. Ooh, this will be a good one. Do you prefer more tech or less tech in vehicles? Oh. I mean, that E-type is like the pinnacle for some people. And there's like Correct. no tech in that. Correct. I like tech when it is convenient, but I think right now automakers are really pushing the bounds of why. <laughs> yes. Like, can I just have a knob for my volume? Please yes. and thank you. Yes. Honda realized it. They fixed it. But uh, just today, as you and I started talking, one of my Mercedes videos went up uh -huh. on my YouTube channel. And going back to my wife and her opinions and thoughts, uh -huh. she's like, why is there not a knob? Like, I have to be very intentional going down here just to change the volume. And everything's a touchscreen now. And uh -huh. you lose some of that tactileness. And uh -huh. yes, yes, I, I agree. And I can see you're well-versed in the Apple ecosystem over there. Uh, Apple has announced this fall their new iOS 16 will have the ability to take over all the screens in the car. And on one side, I am also an Apple nerd. I'm like, oh, yes, please. But on the other side, I'm like, but, but then they're all just the same, right? Like, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know. It's an interesting, we're in an interesting spot. Correct. So that plays very well into new or classic. To own and drive or to admire? <laughs> I, I feel like I can figure out just by that question back <laughs> exactly where you're, uh, how you would break that down. But yes, I, I will just answer back. Yes. <laughs> uh, to, to own and to drive every day, I'm going to say new because I am without question not someone who can fix something when it goes awry. And I feel like to be a responsible classic car owner, you're either married to a mechanic or... Deep pockets. Correct. <laughs> and for me, I love enjoying them and, and I love it when they're someone else's. Mm -hmm. uh, but to have it and to take on that responsibility for me and to take on that responsibility, honestly, is not, um, a responsibility I want. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There, there is a reason why, uh, my last 
six vehicle purchases have been brand new. You know, mm-hmm. I like the warranty. I like being able to take it to any shop. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife had a Mini Cooper when we got married. And here in Tyler, Texas, Mini is now owned by BMW. But mm-hmm. our, our BMW dealership wouldn't touch it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I swore off ever having a vehicle that was used regularly that did not have a dealership footprint mm-hmm. here in town for that mm-hmm. reason. Manual or automatic? In Los Angeles, automatic. <laughs> not in Los Angeles, manual. I feel you on that. Again, going back to that Camaro I had, uh, NASCAR, pretty popular sport here in America. I was given free tickets. Swore off ever going back if I it involved me driving my car. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was an hour out from getting in my car and I could still see the racetrack. I said never again. <laughs> my Correct. left leg was dead. So, yes, yep. I, I feel you on that one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Leads very well into uh, ice, internal combustion, or EV. EV. Without a doubt, like no hesitation whatsoever. What is your most interesting EV that you've sampled? Oh, or maybe maybe I should say most most appealing to you, the one that just sticks with. I'm gonna. You. I'm going to give you most surprising because I got into the car and I was like, well, okay. So I, Polestar, um, I got into the Polestar 2 and they put me in the, we're just going to, we're not going to get too nerdy about it. (laughs) They put me in the fancier one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, very fancy, very fancy. I see this, but you know, from the Polestar 1 to the Polestar 2, the whole point was to make it a little bit more mass market. You're not really doing that. So I get into the kind of base model Polestar 2. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is great. This is fun. It's sure it's in the shape of a sedan, but like, this does things and this Mm -hmm. is exciting and this is fun. And yeah, I could, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles. I used to be a professional surfer and I still surf constantly. That's the running joke with all of the cars I get. I take almost all of them surfing and we're talking like S 500 to DBX to, um, Oh my goodness. 765 LT like, they all went surfing, put board racks on the top of that thing. And like, you're ready to go. And it was absolutely fun and interesting and dynamic. And I got in that car being like, okay, who gets excited about a base model, anything. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a hugely snobby thing to say and a hugely privileged thing to say. And I see that, but when you're like, oh no, oh hell yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. And this is an EV like go, Go look at Polestar, guys. Yes. So I had an opportunity to get in, again, the performance pack, however they brand it, at a track event with many other vehicles there, including Mm -hmm. the one I would say, even in shape, it most competes with in the Ionic 5 from Hyundai. Mm -hmm. And uh, sat down with the product specialist. It was actually loaned to us from a dealer, not the brand logistic nightmare doesn't matter but he was very very well versed in all things Polestar talking about how mm-hmm. they were ditching Napa leather to go to vegan leather 
et cetera, yep. et cetera. And when he told me the price range, obviously being in the performance one, we were in rather expensive. But when he told me what the starting price of these were and comparing that again to that Hyundai, I was like, okay, now you're really onto something because you are that premium brand. Uh, the heritage and the sustainability and then the safety of the Volvo line carried through uh -huh. into Polestar definitely raised some eyebrows for me as well. So mm -hmm. it, it will be interesting to see how, where, when that brand goes and develops. Mm -hmm. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. We've got three more. <laughs> and, oh man, we've got, we've got, um, hmm, on road or off? Off. Yeah. I, I mean, you've already shared some pretty awesome experiences, <laughs> but uh, outside of the colon in and, you know, mm -hmm. just going crazy in, in mm -hmm. that roles, what kind of stands out to you in the off-road space? So la this, actually this last weekend, how perfect is this? This last weekend, I actually took one of my good friends, Jeff. He is a incredibly accomplished photographer. And we took a uh, Jeep Rubicon 392 and went to out to Sequoia National Forest on the other side of Bakersfield uh, and went off-roading and looked for roads to go off-roading on because there's so much technology. And I think the TRX is a perfect albeit somewhat ridiculous but also perfect yes. example of this just in terms of and this and I was largely introduced to the notion of you know spring dampering and yeah. and being able to control the vehicle in a way that you just weren't able to before you know, when Defender came out and and you know we can have the body on frame debate if you want to have that but just again finding different ways to do things mm -hmm. embracing technology to find ways to make you know the ability to kind of crisscross um <laughs> you can see what yes. i'm doing but <laughs> you know for the people who are listening the notion of you know the front front tweaking one way and the back tweaking right. another way and just being able to traverse it changes the roads that you take it changes the way you go up a mountain um and i think the best way obviously to sample that technology is to go for it mm -hmm. um so and it was funny when the jeep guys came to pick it up i was like took it off-roading i did rinse it off but like took it off-roading and they were like good yeah you should uh and to me it's a different skill Mm -hmm. um, I, part of my traveling and part of my travel writing is based a lot on adventure. And to me, it's quite funny because people, it's kind of the, tr the people who are unwilling to travel are often the people who are unwilling to go on adventures mm -hmm. and the travel people are very often also the adventure people. And just the biggest myth that I find myself dispelling to those folks who don't want to travel is you don't just go jump out of a plane. Right. You don't just go, you know, 40 miles up, 40 miles per hour up a mountain. Like it's incredibly intentional and it's incredibly methodical and it's totally thought out. And you, there is a learning curve. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been fortunate enough to do off-roading programs with a lot of brands to learn how to use it mm -hmm. because 
that's very important. But the reason I say off-road is because it's a different set of knowledge and it's a different way of driving. And it's one of those things where you truly have to, especially when you're getting quite technical and you're rock crawling or anything like that, you have to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. You have to be fully present and paying attention. And uh, two years ago, when did the Defender launch? It, three years ago at this point, I was the first U.S. journalist to get a hold. Yeah, to get a hold of a defender, and uh, the, my contact at the time at JLR, I'm sorry, at Jaguar Land Rover, it was one of those toss me the keys, go break it, and I was like, I can't break a defender, like they're unbreakable. Right. That's why ones from the '40s are still on the road. Like seriously, uh, but I ended up doing. I think it's called Hell's Backbone. Oh, nice. Which is yeah a very technical and I did it in the defender and I had a sign off from JLR to do it. And it was just so cool to see how capable that vehicle mm -hmm. is and to do it and to experience it. And you're in Utah and the scenery is ridiculously stunning and, um, off-road. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've been in a defender and loved it and was completely surprised by it because again, Bring in my biases. You briefly touched on, you know, body on frame versus unibody and all that stuff. I was like, that's a really good vehicle. Like, not not gonna scoff at it the way I mm -hmm. once would. And then uh, you bring up Wrangler 392. What was funny about that is we actually had requested of us we put head to head the 392 against the 4xe electrified version, and they both have one pedal driving in a sense, because mm -hmm. the EV is your traditional one pedal driving, it uses a regen and all that stuff. But the just gobs of torque and the idle on that 392, your one pedal driving in that is basically the brake. <laughs> you just mm -hmm. modulate the brake and the, the Jeep does everything else. So exactly right. Favorite driving song playlist genre? What are you going to on a, a good road trip? Oh, I actually have a playlist. This is kind of answering the question, but I think it's a good answer. Okay. Uh, I actually have a playlist of eight songs that I test in every vehicle I'm in. Because for me, sound system is really important. Mm -hmm. Really, really, really important. Like I will sacrifice some things to Very have good. a good sound system. Uh, Fair enough. And it's it's a variety of songs, it's a variety of genres, but to me, having that premium audio, audio excuse me, experience is absolutely paramount. Um, and yes, it's on my Spotify, and yes, you can download it if you want it, uh, but it, it tests a car system, and because I've heard those songs so many times, um, our Maserati know, guy brought a thumb them. drive with what he knew would sound good in the mm -hmm. uh, Maserati he had brought to us. So, yes, I, I totally understand. All right. Last one. We touch on your current vehicle being white color yes. or grayscale. Like, wh wh where are you shopping? <laughs> Obviously, you're not going white again. But... <laughs> 
you know, no. black, silver, and white are the most popular vehicle oh. colors now, but just past your image on my computer is the Sao Paulo Lime GV60 that Genesis brought to us. Oh. And I loved yeah. that thing. So where, where, where do you fall on the color spectrum of things? Um, no black and white because both one is a tragedy and one is torture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so no black and white. I do think there are some redeeming grayscales. Mm -hmm. um, Mercedes always jokes their press fleet is 50 shades of gray and it's hilarious because it often is, but like, I love some of their matte colors. They have a deep like forest mica green mm -hmm. that is stunning. So I'm not going to say the like bright, insane, you know, you think Lamborghini colors because those, yes, they make a certain kind of statement. And for those people, that's their jam, like congrats. Uh, I would say I like the colors just off the grayscale. Okay. So I like those blues. I like those greens. I like some of the brands that play with matte. When Toyota came out with all of their muddy colors, the like, muddy green and the muddy taupe i like those but i'm not and i and i love a good red like mm -hmm. if you have a sports car and it's not red uh, <laughs> yes uh, our supra was red thank you toyota for delivering that one but yeah yeah okay okay well, I thank you absolutely so much for coming on and playing along with yes. our uh, questions here at the end. If people want to sure. follow you and all of the stuff that you're doing, the places you're yes. going, how can our listeners find you? So it is, I, I made the very wise decision to have all of my social media be my name. So it's at Alexandra Cheney on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest, if that's a thing anymore, and TikTok <laughs> and, uh, yep, every Twitter, all, all of the places, Alexandra Cheney. And we will link those down in the show notes, make it really simple for you. Alexandra, thank you so much for coming. If you've got just a little bit more time, I've got two more questions for you for Behind the Paywall. Let's do on it. Our on our Patreon, you can hear those questions yourself by heading over to patreon.com slash talk. But thank you once more. Yes. And there you have it. We could have talked so much longer about travel, about cars, about a lot of things. And unfortunately, I was keeping an eye on the time. I do believe this episode probably ran longer than most just because... So much common ground, so much I wanted to know, so much I wanted to get out of her. So we'll keep in touch. Hopefully I can have her back and we'll talk some more epic adventures in the future. But so grateful for Alexandra and her time here with me on this podcast. Again, you can find out more from her. We will link all of her social media down in the show notes below if you're interested in hearing and seeing more from her. And as always, you can head on over to patreon.com slash talk to hear a couple additional questions in our segment that we call the aftermarket, where I ask the same two questions of all our guests. And uh, not just laying this out there, one of them may or may not have given her goosebumps. So, you know, just very well tailored 
question for uh, the guest this week. But as with always, we thank you for listening and supporting us. You know where to find us, gtgarageshock.com. Find us at gtgarageshock on all the social media. And until next time, gearheads, bye. Bye.